You join with me as we pray and ask God to bless our time together this morning. Father, I pray that you'll take the preaching of your word and use it to work in our hearts. We might live with wisdom in a world full of vanity. Help us to be a people that seek you above all things. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. You can raise your hands. How many of you have seen the movie Star Wars? Or maybe your kids or your grandkids have gotten caught up in the Star Wars craze. That's probably a lot of us. I have uh, nephews, you know, that are five, six, seven, up through like 11 years old, and it's all Star Wars everything. For those of you who haven't seen this 50-year-old movie series, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it by this point, it probably isn't going to offend you if I give you a little bit of the secrets. But uh, Star Wars is the story, and it portrays the struggle between an interplanetary galactic empire that runs most things on most planets. And on the other side, you have a group of spunky rebels. And to make sure we know how evil the empire is, the two most formidable villains in the Star Wars universe run the empire, the emperor and Darth Vader. Darth Vader's a bad guy. The rebels, on the other hand, they're led by the freewheeling Han Solo, and the intrepid Jedi Luke Skywalker. And the ever-creative and evasive rebels are constantly fighting and working to overthrow the corrupt, evil, and powerful emperor. Throughout the story, George Lucas, who wrote the story, created the universe, he made it perfectly clear that the governmental authorities, Darth Vader, the emperor, the empire, the stormtroopers, they're the bad guys, And the little guy standing up to the rulers, they're the heroes. The struggle throughout the series is magnified so that it isn't simply rebels versus empire, but it's a cosmic struggle of good versus evil. Light side versus the dark side. Spoiler alert, the light side wins. The rebel heroes overthrow the seemingly evil empire. Now, when I was a kid... I would get home from school every day and I would play Star Wars. I would play with action figures. I would play with lightsabers, anything, costumes, toys, guns, ships. And me and my friends would spend hours putting ourselves in the Star Wars universe. And I did a small survey of my nephews, uh, three of them this week, and I asked them, hey, whenever you play Star Wars, who's your favorite character to play? Do you think they said Darth Vader, the Emperor? No, every single one of them said Luke Skywalker. He's the best. They pretend that they're the ones overthrowing the government. They pretend that they're the rebels standing up to the big bad guy. And let's face it, ultimately this is reflective of all of our hearts. None of us want to be Darth Vader. All of us want to be Luke Skywalker. We all want to be the good guy. And as much as I'd like to think, or or we might like to think that it's a strictly American phenomenon to want to stand up against rulers and kings and powers and authorities, it really isn't. Just how deep and pervasive is this rebellious spirit in human nature? Popular historian, author, and podcast host Mike Duncan has a podcast series called the revolutions. And in this series, he does 
deep dive historical and narrative retellings of the major revolutions in, Amer- in, in world history. So each different revolution, like the American Revolution or the French Revolution and so on, each revolution has its own series. And recently, as I've been doing the dishes at night, I've been listening to season number 10 of the Revolutions podcast on the Russian Revolution. And that one season on one revolution, Revolution in Russia, has 60 episodes. And the series itself runs over 100 hours, just describing the revolutionary and rebellious spirit of a small space and time from roughly 1650 to 1920. So there are hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasts that you can listen to about rebellions. That's how deep the spirit is within us. This rebellious and revolutionary spirit runs deep in our hearts. And maybe you've never been a part of an uprising against the government. Maybe you've never thought to overthrow the Illinois state capitol or anything like that. But have you ever stood up to authority in your life? Maybe it was a principal. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was the government. When we think of rebels, how often do we think of that phrase, rebel with a cause? Right, you're you're standing up to the authority maybe because you think that your certain political agenda or whatever you're standing up for is good and right. I remember whenever I was in high school, uh, I had hair down to my shoulders. Um, It was not a great look. And my rebellion at the time was that I was not going to cut my hair whenever the the headmaster of the school, whenever the principal said, you have to cut your hair or you're going to get suspended. It's like, it's my hair. Who are you to tell me that I can't cut my hair? Well, in the end, my mom told me I couldn't get my driver's license if I didn't cut my hair. Real freedom is a driver's license and not long hair. Uh, So I cut my hair. We live in a world full of authorities of various kinds. The IRS, the state of Illinois, your local school board, your boss or your regional manor. Uh, manager, village code enforcement, the Supreme Court, the President of the United States. And some of these authorities are better than others. Some are easier to live with than others. But the question that we have to ask ourselves as Christians that we must come to grip with is how do we live with wisdom under these authorities? How do we live and walk with wisdom in a world where there are kings and governments and authorities? Or, think imaginatively me for a moment. What would a Christian living in the Star Wars universe do? Would the Christian in the Star Wars universe be Luke Skywalker? Or would they be on the side of Darth Vader? Our passage today comes from Ecclesiastes 8. And throughout Ecclesiastes especially in the recent Sundays, we've been learning about what it looks like to live with wisdom in a broken, vain, and fall world. And whenever we think about kings and rulers and authorities, what's the first thing we have to understand? It's that kings and governments and authorities are broken, sinful, fallen people. They just are. There is no perfect king. There has been no perfect king. And the closest we probably ever got to a perfect king one who lived with wisdom, was Solomon. 
And Solomon today is going to give anyone who wants to live with wisdom, and that should be us as Christians, instructions on how they ought to live. So let's read together from Ecclesiastes verse 8 as we seek to understand what does the Christian living under the authorities and governments and kings, how ought they to live? Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 8 together. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has the power to retain the spirit or the power over the day of his death. And there is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man has power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is vanity that takes place on the earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Solomon gives us instruction on how we are to live with wisdom. And it's simply this, that we are to be obedient to the kings and governments and authorities in our lives. I know that sounds hard. And there's lots of questions. What if? What about this? What about that? But as we... Seek to understand this passage. I think that we have lots of reasons. Solomon gives us lots of reasons why we ought to obey the king, why we ought to have obedience in our lives to our governing authorities. First, look, Solomon says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Well, Solomon is telling us how good it is to have wisdom, that whenever we have wisdom, our entire countenance is changed. We begin to know things. We have a deep knowledge. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is that Solomon 
is the wisest man to ever live. Solomon had this wisdom. Solomon was a king who ruled wisely. He asked God for wisdom, and God granted it to him. And so the one who has more wisdom than anyone else says to us what it is like to live with wisdom. He says, keep the king's command. Obey the king. Obey the authorities. Obey the rulers in this world and in your lives. But then he tells us why. And I think there are four or five main reasons why we ought to obey the king. First, look in verse 2. Keep the king's commands because of God's oath to him. Because of God's oath to him. This is Solomon making the acknowledgement that God is the one who has set kings and authorities and rulers and people in positions. God is the one who is sovereign over all things, and he is the one who places these people in places of authority. As you look back through the Bible and you look through many of the various kings, for instance, Cyrus the Great. In the Bible, Cyrus is described as a Messiah. Cyrus, Messiah. Cyrus was a wicked, evil king. He was not an Israelite. Yet, the Bible talks about him as a Messiah. Why is that? Why is that? It's because Cyrus was used by God in the lives of his people to make sure that they could return to the land. But more than that, we see time and again that Nebuchadnezzar was put on his throne by God. All of the kings, all of the rulers, all of the authorities in our lives were put there by God. Governor Pritzker, his election is not happenstance. God was sovereign over that. President Joe Biden, it doesn't matter how you feel about him. You can't say, oh, I don't like Joe Biden. Guess what? God put him there. God is the one who is sovereign over that. So why do we obey the king? Why do we obey our rulers and authorities? Because of God's oath to them. God has made a promise to them. God has put them over the whatever area in their lives, in our lives that they are in charge of. God has put them there. It's a very good reason to obey because God has put them there. The second reason why we ought to obey the king is it is objectively good for us. All right, be, look in verse three. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not that, that go from his presence. That's from the king's presence. Right? Do not leave him. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he, the king, that he is the king, does whatever the king pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who says to him, what are you doing? And then he says this. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. We don't have a king in the United States of America, and I'm thankful. I, I don't, I'm not particularly fond of kings. If I had a choice between king and no king, I'll go with no king every day of the week. But think about some of the things in our lives, the authorities that we have to follow. Police officers. Red lights. Red lights are good. About four years ago, my wife was driving home from work, and a woman ran a red light. 
We ran the red light and she T-boned my wife's car with my wife and my six-month-old daughter in the car. That woman did an evil thing. And not only did she run a red light, she was driving without insurance. And not only did she run a red light and not only did she, was she driving without insurance, she was under the influence of marijuana. She was driving high. She was driving intoxicated. And in doing these things, in not obeying the laws of the land, and not obeying police officers, and not obeying what the state of Illinois has said is good and right, she almost killed two people. Perhaps herself and the other person that was in her car. It is good for us to have red lights. It is good for us to have speed limits. It is good for us to have laws and ordinances that say you have to have insurance when you drive. And guess what? It's good for your village to have a code enforcement that says, if you don't shovel your sidewalk, you're going to get fined. Because have you ever walked on an icy patch when your neighbor didn't shovel their driveway? It's miserable. Church, whenever we seek to obey the laws and the authorities in our land, it is good for us. Speed limits are good. They protect us. Taxes are good in so many ways in that they help provide roads for us. They provide the services and the things that we do. Church, it is objectively good for us. It is good for us to obey the law. Police officers are not out to hurt us. What does it say on there? To protect and to serve. Our government is there to serve us. Church, it is good to obey them because it is good for us. We will know no evil thing when we obey the king. In fact, in Galatians 5, Paul is is, is talking and, and he talks about that as Christians, we ought to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. Right? We should not walk in things like drunkenness, sexual immorality, impurity, dissensions, divisions, envy, strife. But instead, we ought to walk in the Spirit. And when the Spirit is in our hearts and in our lives, then the fruit of the Spirit is grown in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, and then, then he says this. Then Paul says this. What's the last part of that verse? Against Such things, there is no law. So, church, if if you are loving your neighbor, if you are practicing self-control and you're not not driving under the influence of of intoxicating substances, you're you're living with self-control, if you have patience, you don't have to be looking over your shoulder and be like, oh, is the cop going to turn his lights on on me today? Am I going to get a ticket or a fine from the village for being humble? for being kind to my neighbor. Church, no. When we obey God, when we obey kings and rulers, there is no law which we transgress. It is good for us to live by the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit, and for us to obey the King. The third reason why it is good for us and why it is wisdom to obey, that the King is going to do what he wants. The king is going to do what he wants. Verse 4, the word of the king is supreme. And who can say to him, what are you doing? At the end of the day, our elected officials, our villages, they are going to do what they are going to do. And we can try and stand up to it. I mean, I remember I got a, 
I got a ticket because I didn't pull my garbage can in from the side of the road early enough. Oh, and I was so mad. Like, $50 for leaving my garbage can out? And I was, I'm going to walk up there, and I'm going to tell them who's boss. You know what happened whenever I walked in there? I said, check, please. I, well, no, 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 no. I, I had the thing back by noon. Isn't that early enough? What about all my neighbors? That, no, pay the ticket. There was no, I, I, there's no discussing it. It was vain for me to go in there and to look silly, yelling. I didn't yell, but I was a little animated. Church, the king is going to do what he pleases. Our authority's word is supreme. If a cop pulls you over for not wearing your seatbelt, you have the ticket. You have the ticket. It's vanity to stand up against it. And I know, oh, I know, you just want to be like, what are, who are you to pull me over for not wearing a seatbelt? I'm a good driver. Whatever it is. Church, it is vain for us to stand up against the king, against our authorities and rulers. Because guess what? They have the law on their side. It is written down with ink, and it was voted on by state legislators, by, uh, by village presidents. All of these things, it's written down. Kings and governmental authorities get to do what they please. Rather than making a stink and making a fuss, we ought to obey. We ought to be humble before them. I, I was speeding. Yeah, I, I didn't move my garbage can back. You're right, I didn't shovel my driveway. And instead, we ought to, we ought to do these things proactively. Ultimately, what this means for us is that we ought to seek to be good citizens. Right? Good citizens seek to obey the law because they know that the law... It's given to us by God. It's good for us. And the law is put in place by people who have power. They can do it. It is vain for us to strive against it. And the fourth thing that we see is very similar to, to the last. Fourth reason why it is wisdom to obey and vanity to seek to rebel and, and oppose it is that there is no escape from obedience. Simply put. Look in, verse, look in verse 8. It says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of his death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. And Solomon is essentially, what, what, what's he saying there? He says, no man, you don't have the power to escape your death. You don't have power to escape service in war. Now, one of the things that Solomon is, 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 is talking about there is particularly in ancient cultures, one of the times when you would be most accountable to your king or to your emperor is whenever he was going to raise up an army either for defense or to go out on a campaign. And if a king came calling upon you to serve in his army, he was going to have you serve in his army. You would be drafted to fight for the king. Solomon is saying, when the king calls on you to serve in war, you, you can't get around it, right? You, there's, there's no way you're going to be able to say, oh, you know what, I have a cough today. Maybe I shouldn't go out. No, the king is going to get his troops. Now, for us today, right, this means that there is no getting away from governmental authorities and rulers and powers. Just like you cannot escape your death, you cannot escape the power and the authority of governments in our lives. And what are the two things 
that we can count on. What are the two things that everyone, right? Death and taxes. We've just spent the first part of this book saying that it's vain to strive against your death. It's also vain to strive against taxes. It's also vain to strive against governments who are going to get what they want. You can spend your whole life trying to run from the government. You can spend your whole life being a hippie in somewhere out west. But guess what? There is no escape from the king. There is no escape from the authorities. It is good for us to obey. It is wisdom for us to obey because God promises the king or God gave an oath to the king whereby he set that king and ruler and authority in their position of power. It is God who did it. It is wisdom for us to obey because laws and ordinances are good for us. They bring good things to us. There are good results from doing these things. It's wisdom to obey because the king and powers, they're in charge. They're going to do what they please. But also, there is no escaping from powers and kings and authorities. Now, we are so blessed to live in a country and to live in a place where, as a general rule, all of our laws are objectively good for us. We live in a place where the government does what they please, they are in charge, but we have like the Bill of Rights. What has two thumbs and loves the Bill of Rights? This guy. I mean, the Bill of Rights is a good thing that guarantees we have the freedom of assembly, the freedom to bear arms, the freedom uh, of, of press. All of these things are very, very good things. So we can say, yeah, I, I can see that it's good to obey our government. I can see that it's good to live a life of, of submission and obedience to what we've got going on in the United States of America right now. But Solomon warns us. Solomon warns us that we won't always have a good government. Think about Christians in China who live under the Communist Party. A, a, a political regime that hates them and a political regime that puts them to death, imprisons them. A political regime that's trying to establish its own church, its own Christian church that takes out all the parts of Christianity it doesn't like. What do we do then? What do we say to Christians living in those circumstances? It is wisdom to obey, and it is still vanity to disobey. Right? Listen to what he says in verses 10 through 13. Then I saw the wicked buried. All right? So the wicked have died. He says, They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. So the wicked are going in and out of the city and they are being praised for doing their wickedness. Right? They're not praised for doing good things. They're not praised for abiding by good and just laws. They're praised for their wickedness. But what does he say? This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. What we have to understand is that there will be times, there will be places, there will be governments, there will be kings and authorities who are corrupt. I wish that it was not the case. 
But there are leaders, there are mayors, there are governors, there are presidents, there are congressmen, there are city council members who are corrupt. They don't keep justice. Yet, it is still vanity to stand against them. It's still vanity to say, oh, I don't like this king. I don't like this ruler. I don't like this authority. Right? Because he says that the wicked doers who aren't punished for their wicked doers because of wicked kings, that's vanity. He still says that's vanity. So while we might live in a society that is increasingly hostile to Christianity, while we might live in a society that is increasingly hostile to the just way that is laid out for us in the Bible, while we might live in a society that is increasingly slowly giving justice and executing justice, church, we must still live as good citizens. We must still be those who seek to obey the king and who seek to live by the power of the Spirit in our lives. But, but, but Clayton, I, you don't understand how much I don't like the Republican Party and their policies. Clayton, you don't understand how much I want this policy. The Bible tells us that there will be evil kings, there will be bad policies, there will be good policies, there will be good mayors, there will be bad mayors. Ultimately, our obedience is to God. Our obedience is to Him. And He has put these kings and rulers and people in authority in position for us and for our benefit. So we ought to seek to be obedient to them. Even in the midst of evil and wicked, corrupt governments, rulers, kings. We, see, we should seek to be obedient as far as we are able. So how can we do this? How can we as Christians be joyful or be, be obedient in the midst of kings, rulers, and authorities? Be they good, be they bad, be they wonderful, be they corrupt? Well, I think that Solomon gives us three reasons, or three ways that as Christians, we can live with wisdom in obedience to the kings and authorities in our lives. These are going to come from verse 15. Verse 15, he says, And I commend joy. For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Remember, Solomon says multiple times, I have all things under the sun I have observed. I've looked around. I've sought to see everything. And Solomon is now saying that I've looked at everything under the sun and here's my advice for you on how to live with wisdom in a world full of vanity, in a world full of corruption, in a world full of kings and rulers and authorities. He says, I commend joy. So church, be joyful. Be joyful. So much of our political discourse today is based around ingratitude. I want that. Why do the billionaires have so much and I have so little? 
Or why is so much of my paycheck taken away for X, Y, Z? So much of what we have is ingratitude. And Solomon tells us, be joyful. Be joyful. What brings us joy? Well, ultimately, it's Christ. And it's in Him that we have every good thing. When we are joyful, that means we're not looking to other people and wanting what they have. When we're joyful, we're not looking for the government to fix all of our problems. We're not looking for a political party to bring us joy. Because guess what? They will disappoint you. Well, instead, Solomon tells us, be joyful. And how do we do that? <clears throat> Eat and drink, because that is what brings goodness to man. Man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and to drink and be joyful. Church, it is so easy for us to turn on our television, to open up our phones, and to get so distracted by what's going on 800 miles away in Washington, D.C., with one president, 100 senators, and 439, or whatever the number is, representatives. And we get so consumed in what those 600 people are doing that we lose sight of the small things in our lives. When was the last time, have you ever heard somebody say this? It's like, I used to watch football, but now I just realized that that's so, so pointless because, you know, politics. You mean you can't enjoy a football game because you're too concerned about what's going on in Washington, D.C.? Church, don't let what a certain news channel that you watch, don't let that take away the joy of spending time with your family. Find joy in your hobbies, be it gardening, be it bike racing, be it walking with your family, be it painting. Whatever it is that you do, find joy in it. And don't let a small group of people far away take away your joy. Enjoy your meals. Enjoy your life. Don't be so consumed with everything going on that you see in the news. Be joyful. Second way that we can be obedient, we can be good citizens is simply to work at the toil that God has given you. Look at what he says. The joy that we have from, from eating and drinking and finding joy in those things, this will go with the wise person, him, that's the wise person, in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Solomon is saying that God has given us two things here. He's given us a toil and he's given us days under the sun. And the two of them go together. We are going to work. We are going to toil under the sun. And if you give your life to that, then you can find joy there. I, I remember in 2016, <clears throat> Amy and I were still living in the city. Gwen was born in August, and then October came around, and everyone was super excited, right? Because the Cubs win the World Series. And the, we're all on top of the world, right? And then in November, we had the election of President Donald Trump. And the city of Chicago lost its mind. I'm just going to be honest. I would remember, I would ride my bike home every night uh, from work. I would get off at midnight, and as I would ride my bike home, 
I would ride through massive demonstrations. The streets were covered with thousands of people. And I'm like weaving my bike trying to get through. And you know what my first thought was whenever I was trying to get home at, at you know, 1230, riding through massive demonstrations of people? My first thought was not, yeah, you go get them. You tell them the Electoral College is broken. Yeah, you prove that the Russians meddled in our investigation. That was not my first thought. My first thought was also not, how dare they stand up to the duly elected president of the United States of America? You know what my first thought was? Don't these people have to be at work in the morning? I do. My first thought was, don't these people have kids that like need them in the house in case they wake up and they need a glass of water? I'm like trying to get home because my wife is home with, with, with Gwen and, and I need to get home to help change diapers. I, I, I thought to myself, I don't care how I feel politically about this. I got work to do. I got bills to pay. I have people that are dependent upon me. January 6th, what happened at the United States Capitol, however anyone feels about that, I couldn't go. You want to know why I couldn't go? <clears throat> because the next day, I had to be at work. Because I have 75 employees that are dependent upon me to sign their paychecks. And I have 75 employees who are dependent upon me to be there with the key to unlock the door so that they can go in and work. And more than that, I have 2,000 customers a day who if I don't go to work, they're going to be hungry because they don't get bread and milk and cookie butter and whatever other frozen foods you love from Trader Joe's. Shameless plug. And even more than that, I have a wife and I have two small children that are dependent upon me. I can't just go driving to Washington, D.C. because I have a mortgage to pay and I have mouths to feed. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which political party you ask, don't we all want pretty much the same thing? We want better lives for people. We want less poverty. We want more thriving. Now, we're going to go about it in two different ways. But let me tell you how you can make the greatest contribution to human thriving and the, the alleviation of poverty. It's by going to work. It's by watching your grandkids and investing in them. It's by being a teacher and caring for kids. It's by being a stay-at-home mom and helping your house run smoothly. It's by loving your neighbor. It's by having Bible studies with friends and people in church. Political activism is so often just laziness. There's no activity to it. You're not helping anyone whenever you watch a news channel and then tweet 140 characters angrily. But whenever you go to work, whenever you help make the world a better place by investing in your kids, investing in your grandkids, helping your neighbors. Church, there you are making a difference. There you are living a life that matters. I'm not saying it's always bad to be involved politically with things, but what I'm saying is that if you only seek to make these big impacts, if you think, I'm going to be the Luke Skywalker of the progressive movement. I'm going to be the Luke Skywalker of the conservative movement. I'm the Han Solo of the Republican Party. Yada, yada, yada. If that is your goal in this life, then you are going to fall flat. You are going to have a vain life full of vain things. 
Here she is now. Colossians 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Church, whenever you give your life to, your, to, to serving those around you, to doing the toil that God has given you, you're not going to be so concerned with what's going on in Washington, D.C. or Springfield, Illinois. You're going to be so much more concerned with how are my children? What's their spiritual life like? She obviously wants to be in church, so that's good. I'm on the right track. Church, work at the toil that God has given you. Don't be so consumed with what's going on elsewhere. Third thing that we can do to live with wisdom and with obedient lives is to trust in the sovereignty of God and that Christ is the reigning king. Multiple times in this passage, Solomon talks about how we don't know. Uh, Okay, so look in verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, and who can tell him how it will be. Solomon is essentially saying there that there are going to be seasons of good, there's going to be seasons of bad, there will be seasons whenever the government is good, whenever the king is bad. You don't know. You don't know the whole picture. You don't know the whole picture. And though troubles lie heavy on you, you need to have humility. You need to step back and say, I don't know what's going on. I don't have the full picture. Furthermore, in verses 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom, to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day nor night do ones I sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. What's, what's Solomon saying here? He's essentially saying that we are ignorant of so many things. There is so much that we don't know. But you know who does know it? God knows it. God is sovereign over kings and rulers and authorities. Even the kings and the rulers and authorities, they don't know everything that's going on. There's no bureau, no uh, department in Washington or Springfield that has everything tied up with a nice little ribbon on it. They don't know. But God knows. right? He says, then I saw all the work of God. God is in control of all of these things. And more than that, as we read the New Testament, we see that Christ has come, and Christ, as our sovereign God, is in charge. Right? You don't have to overthrow the rulers and authorities. Why? Because the New Testament tells us that Christ has overthrown all rulers and powers and authorities, and all things are subject to Him. The book of Revelation Time and time again, we have images of Christ sitting on the throne. And in Revelation 5, everyone cries out because they don't know what's going on. And they say, woe to us. Who can take the scroll and open its seals? Who is the one who is sovereign? And then they look and they see a lamb that appears as if it was slain. And the lamb comes and he opens the scroll. The lamb who was slain is Christ. The scroll that he has opened is his reign and his rule and his judgment. 
Christ is reigning and there is no king, there is no authority, not the Chinese Communist Party in China, not the Joe Biden government in Washington, D.C., not the Illinois governor in Springfield. None of these things, none of these things can take the place of Jesus Christ who is seated on his throne. Church, we can rest assured that we don't have to be the Luke Skywalker in our story. We already have one, and it's Jesus. Jesus has come. He is the hero who has conquered every king and authority and power. And we can rest in that. Parking tickets, speeding tickets, citations for leaving your garbage can out. These are small potatoes. These are small potatoes. Christ reigns. Christ is victorious. He is our true king. So while we might not know everything that's going on, it is wisdom for us to trust God. You might not like a certain political party. I I understand. I understand. But you don't know what God has in place for our lives by allowing that political party to be in charge. You just don't know. But what we can do is we can trust that God has ordained for us all things for our good and for his glory. Church, we obey, we ought to seek to obey kings and rulers and authorities in our lives because God has given us these authorities but also because Christ is the true and reigning king. He is the one who has stood up to the rulers and powers and authorities and has conquered. Do not seek to find your worth. Do not seek to find your value in rebellion, but instead seek to live as a good citizen. And then here lies the heart of the gospel. And here lies the heart of the gospel. Right? The gospel tells us that we are weak and needy sinners in need of a savior and that Christ has come He has died on the cross to save us from our sins. He has raised from the dead for our justification and we will one day reign with him forever. We don't need to seek to reign in this life because we will die. And these rulers and kingdoms and powers and authorities are temporary and fleeting. But we will reign forever with Christ, the true king, the king who gives all obedience, or who who, who commands all authority, There is no corruption in him, only goodness. So let us seek to be obedient for his glory, for it is vain for us to strive against these things. Let's pray. We thank you, O our God, that you have allowed us to live in such a wonderful, wonderful time and a wonderful place in history, in such a wonderful country. Father, I pray that we will never, ever take that for granted. But I pray that ultimately we won't find our comfort and our hope in the Bill of Rights and the United States Constitution and a political party that we like having power, but instead we will find all of our hope, all of our joy in the true and reigning King, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be good citizens. Citizens who are not so preoccupied with with getting rid of one system of government, with one 
system of economics and replacing it with another. <clears throat> We're seeking to have our man in charge. Help us to be good citizens that obey the law, that work for the good of our communities and our neighbors, that work for the good of our families. Help us to seek after you by doing these things and not doing wicked things. Cause us to fear the Lord in all things. Dear Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who has never heard the gospel or has never believed the gospel, who perhaps feel like their worth is tied up in political agendas and political causes and having their party of preference elected, Father, I pray that you will give them rest in the gospel, to know that they don't have to be George Washington or Luke Skywalker or any of these other people, but they can be in Christ, the one who is seated on his throne, to whom be the glory forever and ever.